Welcome to Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, uh, Jesse Single, um, coming at you from a weirdly 60-ish degree, D, 60-ish degree day in Brooklyn. Only invited listeners can call in. Hold on, that's not right. You guys are all able to just join, right? Um, there's all sorts of weird stuff going on. I got distracted because I started reading... <laughs> Uh, a review of Hogwarts Legacy on Wired, and I so... Oh, wait, everyone should be able to call in. Let me edit that real quick. Public, there we go. Okay, jump in the queue whenever you want, because I don't... Uh, there we go. Um, this is like... The first, the first sentence of Wired's review of Hogwarts Legacy is, yikes, y'all. That's like, that's something I would make up to make fun of a certain type of bad writing. How do they publish something like that? And it's all, I mean, I talked about this on the podcast, so I don't want to scoop myself, but like so much of the um, Harry Potter thing is just driven by like man children and woman children who are just so, they just built way too much of their identities around Harry Potter, which at a certain age is really unhealthy because you're going to disagree with an author or something like this is going to happen. Um, oh, I just find it very funny. And it's also just funny that like Wired and these outlets are able to just like, mortgage their own standards and publish bizarre, you know, articles that are more ripe for psychological analysis uh, than consumption as video games criticism. But um, I'll just go to Abe and get going with the calls. I'm going to have to keep this pretty close to 30 minutes or so because I have a uh, flight to catch a little later. Abe, what's up? Abe, you have to unmute yourself. Okay, I think it's working. There you go. Sorry. I'm so sorry to invoke this person, but I've gotten into like a Twitter pile on Michael Hobbs. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, he keeps uh, – well, ask, ask what you want to ask. I could, I could rant all day. Well, I guess, you know, I like – somebody like replied to him like, you should debate Jesse. And I kind of expanded like, yeah, I mean, what's the point of this argument if you can't succinctly explain yourself and defend yourself? And all these people just bring up how debates are ableist, calling me Ben Shapiro. My last name is Tucker, so I think people were trying to say I'm like Tucker Carlson because we have, you know, a similarity there. Yeah. And I guess my question is, do you do you think they think that just because it's become so associated with Ben Shapiro and Steven Crowder, by that I mean debate, so they can just yeah. easily say – Oh, that's right wing. We don't talk about that. Somebody said it's easier to lie in a debate than it is to lie via re written text, which I thought was dubious to say the I least. I don't think that's, I mean, I think it depends on the written text. I think it's usually harder to lie in a debate if you're debating an informed opponent. Um, this has been a meme for a while. And I think it stems from the fact that if you're on Twitter, you will have random people pop up and demand you address their points or demand you debate them. And it's often annoying. I've had that happen with folks making points that from my point of view, I addressed years ago. Um, so it gets tiring. Uh, and that's, I think that's where the debate bro meme comes from. I think in the case of Hobbes, um, I asked him a while ago, I, I didn't even pose it as a debate. I was like, you should come on the podcast. Let's, let's talk this out. He refused. He blocked me. He sort of, whenever I write anything about this, he seems to race through and screenshot stuff that he, in my view, misinterprets. So I can only say so many times, I feel like he doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, and to me, the best example of this is like, he'll say, you know, why are you concerned about youth transition? 
when we know the uh, or when we think the regret or detransition rate is so low. And a key piece of evidence that gets toted out in support of that view is a study of adults who transitioned in Sweden in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and I think maybe the first five years of the 21st century. So if someone thinks that that is good evidence um, for the youth transition system we have in the States, that Swedish adults in the 80s didn't regret their transition, it's such a ridiculous argument, um, but he just keeps making it. And so that's why if it was if it was a conversation, I could ask him to defend that, but he doesn't have to defend it because he just block, he blocks everyone. So I find it very frustrating. But my point is there's a um, kernel of truth to the idea that there are annoying debate bros, uh, but I, I've had very little luck. No one who has strong views on this seems to want to talk about it or to really defend their positions except from behind a block. Yeah, interesting. I just feel like if you're, you keep screenshotting a guy and going back and forth, it seems like there's a discussion that needs to be had. But I mean, anyway, thanks for everything, Jesse. This restores faith in humanity and me and my sanity. So God <laughs> bless. Good. Have a good day. Appreciate it. You too. Uh, Pongo too. What's up? Uh, hi, Jesse. Um, I just wanted to ask you, since you're a very like qualit- qualitative, you're detail-oriented guy, what do you think is up with um, Alexander Pushkin and Alexander Dumas? Um, what about them? Well, so so it, it seems unlikely enough that you'd have one case in the 18th century where like a, a black slave would become the general of a major European power, one of their leading generals, and then subsequently his child and or grand, grandchild would become one of that nation's most famous authors. Um, it, it seems strange enough that would happen once, right? So how do you explain it happening twice on opposite sides of the European continent? And they both have the same first name. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, uh, I feel underqualified to chime in on this. I don't know anything about it. Uh, I don't know. It just, it seems very, it's, it seems very suspicious to me. And that's, that's just, I just wanted to bring that. Suspicious in what sense? What are you, what are you implying? Uh, Caleb, what's up? Hello? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Hey, so uh, I, 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 I'm I, a premium listener, so I just listened to the Hogwarts Legacy episode you did, and I just wanted to talk a little bit how about how uh, the game is uh, being uh, treated in the virtual YouTuber community. Which they're YouTubers who use uh, anime avatars. <laughs> Cool. Go for it. Uh, so, uh, at the at the biggest um, uh, agency, which is called Hololive, four of the Japanese uh, streamers are playing it. Uh, one of their Indonesian streamers is uh, streaming it in English, uh, but currently none of their English streamers are streaming it. Although one of them did do a Harry Potter related stream uh, earlier this week, and one of their male streamer said in the chat that he kind of wanted to play it, but he had to support the cause. Oh, interesting. Does this make any sense to you? Um, make sense in what sense? Do, like, I, I, I didn't explain this, this community enough. I'm sorry. I just... Well, that's okay. Just tell me what you're, what you're getting at. Yeah. So I just, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just, I've seen so many bad actors in the trans community who get, who've done, get accused of all kinds of bad things and never it never gets any traction in the media and it, it just sucks 
There really are no standards. I don't know where I was going with this, but no, it's okay. There's a yeah. I think there's like a little bit of a with this game at least a little bit of a weird uh, moral panic component. Um, yeah, I don't know much about this VTube stuff, but it wouldn't. You know, I think a lot of people are just trying to be good allies yeah. and get in line, and they don't want to get yelled at. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it says a lot that in Japan, no one is scared of this. No, it's a very different culture, and I yeah. it would probably be hard to even explain to them, really. Okay. All right. Thanks for calling. All right. Bye. Bye. Nikki, what's up? Hey, Jesse. Can you hear me? I can. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Um, I just wanted to ask if you uh, what uh, your slash maybe Katie's thoughts on uh, the Seymour Hirsch uh, Nord Stream pipeline story were. <laughs> Unfortunately, I know there's like no actual like sourcing, but it's it's a lot of details, which is interesting. Yeah, and and just tell everyone what his accusation is. Oh, uh, it's uh, that uh, he says that he has, um, I guess, like an inside source that says that the White House, along with the like a Navy intelligence unit, essentially like planned right. uh, to blow up the North Stream pipeline, and that they were responsible for the pipeline explosion. Yeah, this is sort of far outside my area, but my sense is he's a guy who has like obviously historically, especially early on, delivered the goods a few mm-hmm. times. I think maybe he did me. He like broke the me lie. My lie, yeah. Um, I never. I always forget how to pronounce it. Um, I don't know either. Yeah. Uh, my sense is maybe as he's gotten older and crankier, he sometimes and sort of more independent and untethered from like the New Yorker and stuff. Because um, this was something he just published. Independently, right? Yeah, on the Substack, just like two days ago. I think he's maybe someone who I don't know if he's taken as seriously. I think there have been other instances, although I, I can't call any to mind now, where he's like made really big allegations um, mm-hmm. without what appears to be much sourcing and without like the fact checking you get at the New Yorker. So, um, for what it's worth, as someone who doesn't really follow that subject closely, I would not view Seymour Hirsch said we bomb the pipeline on its own as particularly good evidence to support that claim. Yeah. 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 That, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's no, you know, there's no documentation or anything like that, but it is, there was a lot of detail and it also like the argument is pretty, it's pretty convinced, you know, good. Like the argument is pretty reasonable, you know, in a sense, uh, but it's also just crazy. So that we would like do something, that risky, but like- also not crazy. I don't know. I think oh, you, get, you muted yourself, Jesse. I don't know about the reporting here, but I think you get a lot of like conspiracy theory theorizing around the edges of like stuff that could be true or like mm-hmm. would make sense. Um, you know, it's obviously easier to. I know. Yeah, I, I just can't judge his reporting. I just know that his reputation has taken a hit in recent years, and some people don't take him as seriously. Yeah, got you. All right. Well, good to know. Just curious what you thought. Thank you, Mickey. Have a Pope good one. Malone says. First claim that miners have been raped at Abu Ghraib and never mentioned it again. Yeah, that's not, that's not. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, thank you. Hey, what's up? Uh, hello. Hey, Jesse, can you hear me? How's it going? Not too bad. Not too bad. How are you keeping? Good, Good to hear. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to uh, run very quickly a new idea I had for your show, for the pod, for a recurring uh, segment for yourself and Katie. And I just want to see what you think. It's kind of like, in the vein of yes, yes, no, and that it's a recurring segment, but it's not like yes, yes, no. Can I run it by you? Do it. 
So it's where you and Katie present like cases to each other of like Twitter spats between or online spats between two parties. And the other person has to make a ruling on it, like uh, who's in the wrong, who's the asshole or whatever. It's like Twitter court, basically. Exactly. And it's got like, so it's like Jesse and Katie making rulings. So the show is called JK Rulings. <laughs> JK Rulings. That's really good. I, at the very least, I'm likely going to steal that name. I appreciate that. You should. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're welcome to it. You're welcome to it. Uh, <laughs> the other thing I was just going to say was about that, um, whatchamacallit, um, the uh, article that came out, the kind of whistleblower article from the um, uh, therapist in the youth gender clinic. Yeah, I think she um, wasn't a therapist. She was like a case manager. But uh, this, was, okay. this was published case on pre, yeah, Free Press, Barry Weiss's outlet um, at the Washington University of St. Louis Gender Clinic. And this uh, intake manager just accused the clinic of engaging in like pretty egregious um, practices, fast-tracking fucked-up kids onto hormones, which I... You know, people immediately started calling her credibility into question, but I, um, it just lines up so much with A, anecdotes I've heard, and B, there's a number of people within youth gender medicine who do not think kids should be assessed and who think that if they have any other mental health problems, blockers and hormones will address those mental health problems. So I, I, it made perfect sense to me. Maybe someone will come along and debunk it, but I, I find it very unlikely that someone would put their own name and emails, uh, I, I just, I, I believe her is what it come to, comes down to. Yeah, I think she comes across as like an extremely credible person with zero axe to grind. And they went into it like in good faith to begin with and were essentially just horrified by, you know, by, by the practices that they observed. Like she kind of lays out her own bona fides at the start. Like and I think she's, you know, married to a trans man, etc. Like so, like definitely not a transphobic person, but she was horrified by it. And I think what really struck me the most was when she was talking about some of like the permanent physical changes that people were ringing in about um that they weren't really aware of uh that, yeah. that, that were likely to happen like like extreme like literal enlargement to the point where it was like chafing off their underwear getting very very sore this type of thing and the person ringing in distressed and the individual like this lady uh the whistleblower like not having any clue how to you know how to counsel this person what to do you know like where to go next and and the doctors and the other clinicians not really wanting to hear about this yeah i thought that was really shocking and it really just um, made me think back uh, about um, something that was in that Emily, uh, is it Bozan is her name? The the uh, New York Times article initially. Uh, the, uh, yeah, her article. She she um, was discussing, uh, she interviewed a number of clinicians and there was one clinician in particular uh, whose name was, I believe, Cole St. Amand. I don't know if you remember that uh, individual from the article, but they were basically yeah. like um, a trans man, non-binary, two-spirit uh, individual who um, was also a general, like a family physician and a counselor, and they were like basically saying that any form of really exploring an individual's gender identity they felt was like totally counterproductive. And they were saying what they were more interested in was exploring what the individual individual's embodiment goals are. Like, do you want a deep voice? Do you want like uh, breasts or not? Do you want like yeah. you know? And that that's the kind of approach they were taking. They just wanted to fast track hormones immediately. And the response then was, well, we just check in periodically and make sure they're still happy with it. And if they're not, we can always stop. And like when you hear that kind of cavalier attitude, like it just, it's shocking when, when held up against what this lady was saying and the people experiencing like these irreversible side effects. And like really, obviously, the, the, the principle should be like first do the harm. Yeah. And like the cavalier approach, like obviously requires uh, like... Uh, um, the, like the cavalier approach is obviously wrong and we need like you know studies etc and everything should be very very carefully done but it's just shocking that the 
the um, the cavalier approach of so many people, and that article should be required reading for people like Michael Hobbs, etc. Because like, it, 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 if that doesn't shock them, I don't know what would like. Yeah, there was also there's been a movement. So this big New England Journal of Medicine study I just wrote about. I think eight of the kids they gave hormones to were non-binary, and there's there's literally no evidence um, for outcomes for non-binary kids. And someone I forget who one of the big names in this was quoted. As saying, like, the trend now is non-binary kids who, like, want just a little bit of testosterone so they can have facial hair. And it, it's just sort of taking teenagers' embodiment goals at face value without interrogating them at all and just being like, yeah, we'll just give you sex hormones. I, I it's, um, it, it, it's That disturbing. is just pure experimentation. Like it's that, pure that experimentation. Works. There's, like, there's no... Uh, there's no medical basis for like, well, the teenager says they want uh, this natal female wants a little bit of facial hair. So let's give them a little bit of tea. I don't, I don't understand. Well, well, I've kind of observed recently, I think there's kind of an evolution in the gender ideology where now, now nearly they're trying to almost completely dissolve the boundary between men and women. And everyone can just be something in between like the non-binary and it's about embodiment. Yeah, it's like a little bit sort of trans transhumanist. Like everyone just gets to take whatever substances they want to have whatever body they want. And that's like, um, you know, and anyone who it's very, it's actually very libertarian in a way. It's weird, but I, I, I often can't even quite understand because the terminology is so confused and we're so far from talking about like a condition that is being treated. I often, can't even follow what the medical argument is. And I think maybe uh, some of these folks, if they were being honest, would say they don't, they don't view it as a medical procedure. You, unfortunately, in our system, you have to have a diagnosis. You have to medicalize it. But they just think a 13-year-old natal female who wants testosterone, regardless of what's going on, should get testosterone, which... Um, like, like know, it's not a medical procedure, but it requires me- like heavy-duty medications and like exogenous hormones that have like you know potentially long-term effects, but it's not a, a medical condition. It just requires all this medication. Like it doesn't make yes, sense at all. And they'll kill themselves if they don't get it. But it's not a mental yeah. health condition. It's not a medical condition. But they need it, or they'll kill themselves. So that's that's where yeah. we're at in the discourse. Very frustrating. Anyway, thanks for the call. Uh, best of luck. Have a good weekend. It's uh, Lamont asks, how is that different from cosmetic surgeries that have nothing to do with medical treatment? I mean, I think that's where it's headed. It's just different if it's with thirteen and fourteen year olds. Um, if you want to argue that 13 and 14 year olds should have access to cosmetic treatments, people often say this, they're like, Oh, but you don't care about minors getting breast implants. I, dude, I would, I don't, I don't think minors should get breast implants. The idea of giving a 16 or 17 year old, a, a, a boob job is crazy. I would, I mean, I don't know. Anyway, I think it's very different because it's not, if, if people were honest and presenting this as purely cosmetic, we could have that conversation, but they're, um, they're not. So uh, I'd, I'd be happy to have that conversation. Uh, but that, that's a fair question. Justin, what's up? Hey, Jesse and crew. Um, so I wanted to ask about what you just mentioned right at the end, actually. Uh, you said it was unfortunate that uh, people need a diagnosis in order to receive treatment. And I assume that's because of the associated costs. But is it, isn't that desirable with kind oh, of... Oh, no, I think your... I was I was saying from... I, I think within gender medicine, there's different camps. And I think there's a more radical camp and they would view it as unfortunate that they need oh, to go through these processes at all, at all. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were speaking on behalf of yourself and it didn't align with what I thought your, 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 your stance was on it. Okay. No, I don't, um, I don't, I don't understand what, what, like what, if you're giving a 13 or 14 year old medical treatment and you don't know exactly what you're doing it for or what your goals are, 
that's obviously bad, I think. I don't I mean I, I literally sometimes can't understand what their arguments are because they muddle the terminology so much. Yeah, and obviously I think you have definitely noticed the growth over the years of at first it was gender dysphoria and then it was more about gender identity and now even gender and sex are constantly casually mixed, even in medical like papers. Uh, yeah. it, it's obvious that there, there is something that's not just, you know, based on quote unquote, the science any longer, um, the striving people. And I don't think that the clinicians or the researchers for the most part have the ability to, to properly examine it because they won't get published. They'll get run under their institutions and all that. I'm sure you know about all the incentives there. Yeah. Yeah, they're not. They're definitely not good. Right. Uh, so at the beginning, the, the first caller mentioned something about, um, I've never heard this before, but that it's wrong to debate people because that's Ben Shapiro and Steven Crowder. Um, but I have, uh, many years ago, actually, there was this phenomena happening in college debate circuits where um, basically activists would hijack the debate saying, we... Uh, we we do, we don't we don't assent to the structure of this debate because it was founded and they would go through kind of like a standard racial you know history motivation stuff and shift the 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 context of the debate from any topic it could have been anything uh, onto that and they were winning because of you know it was kind of a gaming of the debate structure where if you don't address all the points that someone brings up um, you, you you get docked points in that environment. Um, so this isn't exactly a new thing, I don't think. Uh, probably this presentation. Oh, no, I mean, shutting down debate or like arguing that you can't even talk about certain subjects in certain ways definitely isn't new. Right. And then uh, I guess the, the last bit is back to the gender stuff. The um, uh, So the episode that you had with Katie uh, that you just put out was fascinating because it, it really felt like two people trying to, you know, work through a bunch of the stuff that are a lot of people don't have any good idea to have to think about because it's hard to have those conversations. And um, I can't recall if I've requested this before, but I would love for you to put together kind of like, here's the best case that you have for supporting whatever level of child gender care, you know, based on the evidence and taking into account the opposite, because I'm, I've kind of been on Katie's side of this, quote unquote, for a while now, just saying in any other context, this would probably be unconscionable medically. And I, I would love to feel grounded <laughs> in what I think about it by having a good argument presented on the other side, which I don't think exists. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me think about that. That, that might be useful because I am um, obviously very down on the evidence. Um, while also being very opposed to just banning the treatment outright. So I, I think I need to think more about my stance and, and maybe defend it better. Yeah, thank you. Uh, actually, would it be fair to call your stance kind of like a, a no child left behind way of approaching this? Like if someone um, can be helped by this, we really shouldn't outlaw it? Yeah, yeah. I just think like, and again, if it was, if everyone was doing it really carefully over time, it would be different, but Clearly, there's, I think, some recklessness has crept in here. But, yeah, that, I mean, I think that sums it up more or less. Right. Okay. Well, Thank thanks, you. man. Have a good day. Thank you, Justin. Neil, what's up? Hey, Jesse. So I wanted to ask about um, when are we getting a Hogwarts Legacy Let's Play from you? 
Oh, that's a good question. Well, I've never done any kind of Let's Play, so I don't know if I would start with this, but um, <laughs> it seems like a very time-consuming game to dive into. Other than that, if it was like maybe 10 years ago, I would have downloaded it, but probably not going to happen. I'm sure there'll be yeah. no shortage of like heterodox gamers playing it or you can watch do Let's Plays. <laughs> yeah. So I also want to ask, so I've been listening back to the back catalog um, of lots of episodes, and one of the episodes you're talking about, Native American. And then Katie brought up that actually. Are you able to, to hey, your mic's a little bit, um, are you able to adjust the mic at all? It's that you sound Yeah, once I, here, I can. Uh, is that better? Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to ask about, um, you were talking about what to call Native Americans, and Katie brought up the idea that many of them are fine being called Indians. And so it's actually that she was going to use that term, and then you like, kind of accepted that I didn't push back that much. And it's always interesting to me because it, it it's very reminiscent of the like trans women, women debate, right? Because you're, you're asking the group who wants to be called a specific thing, but then not the, the group who actually had the original term in this case, specifically actual Indians, which I, I CGP gray had like the same video where he's like, I'm going to call them Indians, but then they're like objectively not Indian. So I think, I don't know. I think it's like obviously wrong to not, I don't know. It's like, what, what are your thoughts on that? That in, if Indians object to calling Native Americans Indians, then they shouldn't be called Indians because they're not Indians. Um, yeah, I don't know. The term can mean different things at this point. Um, if if actual Indigenous Americans have reclaimed it and want to be called it, I, I don't think there's that many. But they're not from India. It's like objectively wrong. I don't know. I think I think it's like it's like women saying that trans women are not women because they're not like I don't know. I, I it's a, I think language can be more can be more flexible, and um, I just I don't see actual people from India, like the continent, uh, continent, the country, getting. Um, I don't think a lot of them are, are mad but, about but this. Why really is that necessary? Them. What if so? What if there are Indians that don't like it? But then, wh- why would that be necessary for it to be wrong? Because um, I think a lot of like linguistic questions are more complicated than right and wrong. Like if. A, group, a particular group has decided they like using this term, then I don't know. I just, it doesn't strike me as like worth making a big deal about it. I'm not sure there's an actual problem here to be solved. But, but it's like objectively untrue, is it not? They're not from India. Like, I, I don't, like. Um, I don't know. Some people still call the West Indies the West Indies. They're not really, I mean, it's like, they're. it's a weird name that, I don't know. I just, I, I find it hard to see. A lot of things just become entrenched because of custom or habit or, or misconception. And this just doesn't strike me as one that really does any harm, even if it is technically wrong. Okay. Okay. And then I also wanted to ask about, so I still don't know, like, what what is the difference, like, conceptually between blackface and drag, right? Like, if blackface is racist, then why is drag not sexist? Um. I think this has come up before. Uh, I think it's just one of those things where like you need to accept that people are offended by it. Cause it, you're not really by not putting on blackface, you're not really missing much. Um, uh, what, what does that mean? You're not, well, not missing much. Well, like what, uh, I guess I just don't, I don't get the point. The idea is people are offended by blackface because there's this history of like minstrel shows and, and really offensive depictions of black people and it reminds them of that. But like a lot of like a lot of form- so then women are women are offended by drag because it's a offensive depiction of drag. Should we then not have drag? Like I don't I don't understand the argument. Um 
I don't, well, I don't know how many women are offended by it. And uh, I don't think there's that same history of imitating women for the sake of insulting them. I think it's a weird, closer to like a celebration of like a distorted view of womanhood. So then couldn't you say the same thing? Then we could say blackface is a celebration. If done in good faith, a celebration of black people, right? Like, I don't, like, why does the argument not apply then there? Do you think there's a lot of, um, I, I think sometimes maybe you get too caught up in like, stuff being stuff surrounding morality and more and like culture and like what's considered offensive or not is never going to be completely coherent or logical. And in a lot of instances with something like blackface, which does have a really ugly history. um, I just, yeah, I just can't imagine. It doesn't seem like a good use of time in a limited lifespan to worry that people don't have completely coherent views about blackface versus drag, especially given that, like, you know, whereas debating certain things is really important. Debating trans youth healthcare is important because, like, actual kids are getting actual treatment. Um, what What's wrong with just not doing blackface? I mean, but isn't it, it's like a restriction of freedom of expression, right? I don't know. Like, I, like it's, what's wrong with not doing drag then? Like, that, like what what's the... I just don't see how that's a good like counter. I don't know, but um, yeah, yeah, I don't. yeah. I mean, there might not be a good counter because a lot of these these rules don't don't quite make sense. It's just a matter of, um, I don't know. It's just a matter of like not of just not debating everything because it it just doesn't. I just don't view it as like high enough stakes to worry about. Maybe, but can we not like chew gum and walk at the same time? Right? Like, can't we? I don't know. I I feel like it doesn't. Things can be more and less important, but I don't know if we, that means we can't like talk about the less important things. I don't know. Well, you can talk about whatever you want. It's just like people, if you start saying, I don't get why blackface is offensive. If drag is an offensive, people are instantly going to say, oh, so you're saying blackface is good or you want, oh, so you're saying you want to dress up in blackface. And it's just at a certain point, it's just like, it's not worth it because the thing you're defending isn't that important or that'd be my argument. Okay, but that's like that's like a defeatist practical argument, right? That's not like a principle. Like I don't know, I I I get your point, but I get I'm I guess I'm a bit more idealist. Yeah, that might be the case. Yeah. Also, I think one conceptual difference that I've thought of is that there are like innate differences between men and women, right? Some as much as some people wouldn't want to acknowledge that. So then you could play and like you know play on that. But then with races, I mean, race is kind of a fiction, right? So in some sense, we shouldn't like acknowledge differences, even if there maybe are some like on the edges of like health problems and, you know, whatever. Um, And so then that's why that blackface could be bad and drag is not bad because of that. But I don't think anyone would actually argue that. So that's the argument I've thought of. That's fair enough. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, I I think that's all I sort of got on this, but uh, thank you for the call. Yeah. Basically, not basically, thanks, you know. Hello, Nicole. Hi there. Um, So two... Two things. So first, I was curious. Um, I've listened to your episode yesterday. You mentioned um, reading a book about the Satanic Panic, which is one of my one of my most interesting things I love to read about, along with the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire. Um, <laughs> which book was it? Uh, I'm not done with it yet, but I think it's called We Believe the Children. Okay, cool. Um, I will look that up. Um, second, and so I feel... I think something I struggle with always when hearing people argue against youth trends or transition and the lack of scientific evidence is the fact that 
there is overwhelming anecdotal accounts of um, of hormonal treatment being effective. That is not sci- no, that is not scientific evidence. Absolutely, yeah. but I feel like in the absence, like I don't think it's anything new that in the absence of pretty either small like diseases that affect a small number of people or in um, conditions or diseases that have evolved very rapidly in recent years. Um, like it doesn't make sense to completely rely on the accounts of, of people, but also it doesn't make sense to completely discount them as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a fair point. I just think in the case of youth transition, we're very early on. And um, just from a do no harm perspective, I guess I I don't think we have an overwhelming number of anecdotal accounts that it it works. I I think we're doing a very poor job keeping track on how people do who went on blockers and hormones when they reached their twenties. So it's tricky. There's definitely situations where you need to make decisions about medical treatment without great data, but the risk is especially if there's a bias that causes it to be more likely some sorts of anecdotal accounts will be circulated than others. And I think we have had that bias. Um, at least in liberal spaces, it just makes it very tricky to rely on that uh, for anything. And it's also just the the fact is self-report only gets you so far in trying to figure out if people are doing better, like to really get good data on whether someone's improved, you sort of need them to be evaluated by a clinician, which, um, you know, there's there's serious resource limitation issues here. No, I definitely agree. I, th- I think I'm just seeing, I'm seeing some hypocrisy now from people pointing to people um, who speak out about detransition saying, oh, wow, there's like, they're so brave, like listen to them, et cetera. But then listening to also youth who, youth or former youth who are very happy about their transition. Oh yeah, you definitely can't can't trust one set of anecdotal accounts and then ignore the other. I agree completely with that. Yeah. Um, And I I don't know, I'm very into like like patient participatory research. um, And I think there's a cool, I don't know. I I don't think we'll ever get these like RCTs as, as a gold standard for things like this, just because of the, all of the reasons you, you've mentioned in your previous. Um... No, I'm, and, and look, I'm with you about the patient participatory stuff. And I think that their voices are important. And I, I wouldn't trust any journalist that only talks to detransitioners or only talks to happily transitioned people. I think, um, you know, all we can do is sort of like in-store the truth with very limited data and information. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thank you so much, Jesse. You always appreciate um, your articles, et cetera. Um, thank you, Nicole. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Alex, unfortunately, Lenat's got to be my last caller today, but if you get in the queue next time, I'll bump you to the front. I, I do have like a, a flight later I'm not packed for. Lenat, what's up? Oh, no, Lenat, unmute. Oh, uh, then Alex left. Yeah. Oh, okay. there we go. Sorry. Okay. Sorry, Can you hear me now? <laughs> okay. I can. Okay. I just wanted to ask, um, you know, we were talking uh, about... Um, maybe the benefits of pursuing treatment if it diminishes some distress. Uh, and, you know, I was just thinking, um, in, as an extension to that, I am a woman, uh, a biological female who is well into my 40s um, and experiencing some, some distress about, you know, my, the changes in my face, the changes in my body as I age. And one thing that, you know, I always think about is why is it if I, that if I were to get, you know, Botox or uh, surgery to, you know, to address that, to address my aging face, my aging body, that would be considered purely cosmetic. Uh, but, you know, that's not the same with uh, if, if, if you were 
you know, changing your gender? Uh, why is it that that's considered a medical procedure getting, you know, implants, boob implants, if you're a man who was going through that? I, I always wondered about that or, or female feminization, you know, feminization, surgery, facial yeah. surgery. I, I, I always found that as a woman, I, 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 I don't know. I, I was wondering your thoughts on that question. Yeah, I think it's like probably a little bit above my level of expertise because it just has to do with like which concerns are seen as rising to the level of a medical condition or like a DSM condition. And uh, the fact is it's been determined that there's this thing called gender dysphoria. And I guess one answer would just be like, we don't have data on this. But if it was shown that gender dysphoria very often led to truly dire outcomes, whereas more everyday concerns about aging didn't, then you could argue one should be a condition and one shouldn't. But at the end of the day, a lot of the stuff is arbitrary. It's not like this stuff is like, there's no objective reality about what is and isn't a medical or mental health condition. Yeah. I also, I also think that there's a double standard too in how we judge people who get cosmetic procedures. Um, you know, especially if it's due to aging versus the other, I, I you know, at least I, I think there's less of that now, but I know growing up, like, you know, you wouldn't, you would be, you'd be seen as very vain or very like superficial. Yeah, there's like a stigma. Yeah, yeah. But in the other way, it's almost considered like something like, oh, that's great that you're doing that. And I just, you know, again, the double standard and I don't know, maybe as a woman, I'm a little bit more sensitive to that. Um, just, just how, how society treats both differently. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. Anyway, that was it. <laughs> that was all no, my it. point. Thank you. Questions that I, I don't think have been fully discussed, so I appreciate it. Um, thank you all for listening. As always, I would just ask if you like what I'm doing here, tell other people about it. Uh, I will be back next week at some point, and uh, time for me to pack and go to California, where I'll hopefully see a couple of you. Bye, everyone.